least we didn't get like 10 bad like you, Maury Strange. Kale chips. They're from my own garden. Hey everyone, welcome to the twelfth episode of the of the Fantasy Hipsters podcast. You got your guy Matt Franchise over here, right across from me, my buddy Matt Harmon. What's going on, buddy? Not much, man. Uh, today was a pretty pretty big day for me um recording this on tuesday may 2nd but we'll get into that a little bit but how, how are you doing i'm wonderful man i just came off i just came back from a long road trip to south central utah you were really out in the wilderness dude huh? it was like the people we stayed with is my fiance's aunt and uncle and the uncle kept stressing how it's the most remote location in the lower 48 states oh it's as far away as you can get from anything they live uh, elevations about 4500 feet okay uh so you're higher up we had like elevation sickness going on Whoa. there's all these crazy rock formations out there there's snow-capped mountains there's these like flat top cliff butte things there's red rocks rising over there's arches there's valleys there's gorges you were just sending me like there's- straight up pictures of of wilderness whenever i would at you i know draft <laughs> you were like go back to the wilderness and i said gladly and i was in it man yeah. it was crazy there's cows in the road there's elk there's there's deer running around there's all kinds of wildlife i've never experienced anything like it in my life the landscapes were amazing i got all kinds of cool pictures uh we went up a mountain we went down in a gorge we ate picnic in a red rock yeah, Gorge. your I mean, Instagram feed was lit, dude. It was awesome, and uh, it's it's so the location is called Capitol Reef National Park, and there's this. It's called the Capitol Capitol Reef. It's like a geologic formation where the Earth kind of opened up, and it's called the Water Pocket Fold, and it formed all these crazy formations. And there's all these national parks out there. They don't have a cell phone; they have a satellite phone. Oh my god, a satellite phone. The only time I've ever seen those is like in Jurassic Park 3. Yeah, right? So it was nuts. They had Wi-Fi so I could be on Twitter a little bit. And then, you know, we went on on this crazy excursion and there's there's like 250 million year old like hardened lava that came up from the surface just sitting there. And it's just, it was so cool, man. It was invigorating and it was just, pictures don't do justice how gorgeous it was. Yeah, that is always the tough part when you're on a trip like that and you're like, I just want to capture this and capture how I'm feeling about this, what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, it was, it's kind of pointless. Yeah, you look at the picture and you're like, eh. It's there for the memory, but experiencing it in real life, there's nothing like it. It was awesome. I'm totally, totally down for that. Well, hey, you know what else is awesome? What's up? DoChampsGrooming.com, oh. the official sponsor of the Fantasy Hipsters podcast. That's right. Vintage-inspired handmade grooming products for the modern-day man. I brought some DoChamps out to Utah with me. Yeah, well, hey, if you're out there in the dry air of the wilderness, sometimes it feels good to, you know, moisten up the beard, moisten up the hair. But yeah, correct. DoChamps Grooming, obviously, they are just... They're, they're, look, they're top-of-the-line grooming products. The top-of-the-line grooming products. They've got everything you could possibly need. They've got the hair serum, which you know I'm, I've been raving about. Uh, hair wax. They've also got beard balm, beard oil, beard wash that we've got on the table Smells here right great. now. Everything about them is awesome. They'll hook you up. They'll hook our listeners up, That's especially right. 
with a promo code HIPSTERSPOD for a 15% off discount at checkout on your order. Uh, so check them out. Also make sure to follow them on Twitter, on Instagram, and like them on Facebook. They're really trying to build up their social media presence. So if you love us, go show them some love too. That's right. Support those who support the hipsters. DoChampsGrooming.co. Yep. Go get it today. So I'm into it. So I mentioned, uh, well, go ahead. You said today was a big today, day for you. So what do you got? Well, you got something was, bubbling under here. Today was a big day. I uh, announced my retirement uh, as the oh. head of Brussels Sprouts Twitter. Ah, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know. Whoa. I know this You're kind of... You're going out on top, huh, buddy? Uh, well, you know, there was that tweet <laughs> from, uh, from, a list for, uh, from a follower last week that... Did you see... Did, uh, no. did I send this to you? So, I don't think so. So someone was uh, in line at a grocery store. I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can pull it up here, but yeah, he was in line at a grocery store telling his wife, because they were buying Brussels sprouts, he's like, yeah, there's this football writer on Twitter. Uh, he tweets all the time about Brussels sprouts, and somebody in line looked over and said, you talking about Harmon? Just some other random person. That's so. insane. <laughs> that is crazy. So yeah, that was that was kind of um, that was kind of one of the impetus to be like, all right, I need to I need to go out on top. That's here. how you know you've made it in the Brussels sprouts world, right? And also, like you know, every good bit has its has a has its expiration date. You know, yeah. everything eventually comes to an end, and I think it was time. So I put out a video this morning. I held a press conference. Uh, many 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 media outlets showed up, took pictures. Uh, ask questions. So uh, if you if you want if you're missing that if you didn't see it yet, just go to my Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore byb and you could check out the video there. It was good um, stuff. Yeah, it was sad, but I understand. Yeah, just everything comes. And look, I, I'm still happy to talk about Brussels sprouts on this podcast, other podcasts. I'm still happy to talk to you about Brussels sprouts. You know, one on one on Twitter. I'm just not going to be retweeting every single picture and like constantly putting a barrage. I need to get a new Twitter avatar too. So yeah, you're holding a Brussels sprout. I know. So it's a whole. Re, a bit of a brand recalibration, but yeah, it was good while it lasted. It was good while it lasted, you've, but you've um, done a good thing. You know, what's going to last a little while longer is us talking about the NFL draft. Uh, yeah, you know, we're going to yeah, uh, we're going to once again skip the news because but there's not really anything to talk about. Well, I mean, Martavis Bryant, <laughs> debatable. Martavis Bryant and Sammy Coates got into Twitter kind of a thing. That was funny. I don't like that as a Steelers fan. You don't like see? Okay, no, I, no. Ah, it was whatever. Did Mike Tomlin chime in on it? Yeah, too? he chimed in. It was like play nice boys, and then he was on NFL Network during day three of the draft, and it was like, yeah, it's no big deal. You know, we're all competitors. Like, you know, competition I think, is a good thing. I think if if like. If Tomlin hadn't have like stepped in and joked around on Twitter and joked around about it the next day, it would have been a big thing. But everybody yeah. was like, "Oh my god, these guys are bad teammates." Blah blah. I was like, oh, "Shut up." I mean, it just kind of shows unrest in the locker room. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. I think it just—it's a—it's a tweet. Fine. I think everybody made way too big of a deal about it. And yeah, Bryant maybe he shouldn't have said like he's taking Sammy Coates' job. But what do you want him to say? Yeah. I mean, people were I mean, people bro, were tweeting people were tweeting at him like, yeah, they just drafted your replacement, and yeah, again, maybe it wasn't the smartest tweet in the world, but like, you know, the fact that Coates joked around, like, then quote tweets like, ha ha ha, and then yeah, again, Bert, like Tomlin stepped in, is like, you know, play nice boys, yeah. Not to mention Bryant's right, like if he's taking one, if Juju's taking one of their jobs, he's 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 taking Sammy Coates, not Martavis Bryant. I agree, but anyway, so. So that's what that, I that was fun. That was fun. Right. And Brian's back. We still haven't really talked about that, but whatever. We'll we'll get around to all that. But yeah, we, we got, have we got time. We have another great interview today. Yes. And it's with Matt Waldman, the author of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. If you Ooh, know Waldman's yeah. work, you know that this is a big time of year for him. Obviously he does all the post draft pods. I mean the pre draft pods and they're like 
oh, who do you think is good? Who do you think is bad? That's nice. We got him on to talk about who fits with where because the post-draft edition of the RSP is even maybe even better than the pre-draft edition of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. So we're going to cool. talk to Waldman about all of his takes on where these rookies land and who they're going to fit in with, who they're going to be potentially replacing. So uh, you want to kick it to our interview with Matt right now? Let's go talk to the, talk to the draft guru. All right. Well, here we go. All right, and now the fantasy hipsters are pleased to be joined by the one, the only, Mr. Matt Waldman, a good friend of mine, uh, a writer at Football Guys, and also the author of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. And, you know, everybody gets you on, Matt, for like these pre-draft podcasts where it's like, hey, who's good? You know, this, that, and the other. But being the hipsters that we are, we wanted to get you on at a different time, and that's after the draft has happened, so that we can talk about like some real hard stuff as like where these guys fit in uh what are they going to look like in the current schemes that they've landed in so we wanted to bring you in especially because you're putting out a post-draft publication too that some people might not know about so uh for one matt i've talked a lot here but how the hell are you one and two uh for the listeners that don't know tell them about the post-draft rookie scouting portfolio i'm doing great and it's a pleasure and an honor to be on with you guys um the post-draft is part of the rsp package that i sell every year and I started doing the RSP in about 2006, but the post-draft, I think I started around 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. And what I do is I take my board from the pre-draft and I re-rank everything according to team fit. I give a depth chart analysis of not only the 150 some odd players that I studied for the pre-draft, but I add another 50 to 60 players on there. So I have a ranking of about 211 players coming out. Um, and I do an analysis of depth chart that includes um, where their contract status is, um, where I think, you know, what I think is worthwhile for them from a fantasy standpoint. And then I'll list players that I think are, you know, overrated, underrated, great system fits. And it gives you a chance to compare really fantasy outlook for the first one to three years which is that post-draft analysis. And I do that in addition to that analysis, I'll look at um, average draft position from a variety of leagues that I keep track of that are leagues that I'm not in with maybe the exception of one or two. And I compare those ADP values to what my, what my post-draft rankings will be. So for instance, if I like a certain player and I think he's a, you know, in a tier, you know, I look at cheat, uh, cheat sheet tiers and that's how I do my rankings. So if I have a guy in tier one who, you know, may be way higher than where he's being drafted, um, I give you a, a kind of a little formula that's easy to see that gives you an idea of where to adjust so that you can pick him a little ahead of ADP, but still get decent value on him. And so it, it gives you a real that way. I'm not trying to just formulate a ranking based on where everyone's picking people, but it gives you a you know more realistic outlook. So, for instance, if I like Chad Kelly, who was Mr. Irrelevant, and I do far more than everybody else, um, I may have him in my top tier, and I will. I'll have him in my top tier because I think quarterbacks are worth a certain um, are, are are I like guys who are low risk, high reward. And quarterbacks in dynasty leagues, 
are high risk players most of the time because they crap out so at such a high rate. So why not pick a guy where maybe you can get him in the fifth round or this, or, you know, the, or in somewhere around there where everyone else would take him in the seventh. But I think that he might be worth that, even if I have him ranked something like eleventh or twelfth overall. And people may think that's nutty, but there's an explanation to the process. So you get that all of that information, which is about a hundred pages worth. Um, around thir- probably somewhere between Thursday and Saturday this week, I updated my readers um, and subscribers and gave them a little bit of a sample today of my top 65 in terms of where I where I see them at this point, which may change a little bit as I continue this. And uh, and you can get that along with the pre-draft, which usually has a longer shelf life of like four to five years. And it's available for twenty one ninety five at mountwaltman.com. But yeah, the the pre-draft RSP, like you talk about some hipster takes. I mean, you've got you've got some hipster takes in there, Waldman. And I say that with all the with all like with all the respect in the world. I mean, you're in good company here for with for this with this podcast. See, there you go. Yeah, and I, I, I <laughs> listen. I I get a lot of like I get a lot of draft guides like sent to me, you know. And I've seen some good ones this year. I mean, Dane Brugler sent his my way. Kyle Krabs, Ian Wharton, a lot of really good draft guides. The inside the pylon. I I think all of those are great. The only guide that I actually legit buy because, and even though I think of all these people, you and I are the closest friends. Uh, I always buy the RSP because it's that freaking good, and like I want Waldman to get to to get the to get the to get the do for it. So the pre-draft RSP is great. The post-draft is good because it's kind of like where you take some of those hipster takes that you have in the in the pre-draft uh, process, and then kind of spin them to exactly how they might fit um, with some of the players where they've ended up. So let's dig into some of those guys right now, and I kind of want to ask you like. Right off the bat, the top two rookies that went off the board in the NFL draft were Leonard Fournette and Corey Davis. Uh, at the fourth overall pick, Leonard Fournette, for one, do you think Fournette is like a, the same sort of talent as an Ezekiel Elliott last year who went at the fourth overall pick? And where do you see him fitting in in Jacksonville? Or do you see Jacksonville kind of fitting to him? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that Ezekiel Elliott was a far more versatile back in terms of run scheme. You could put him in a gap-oriented scheme following a pulling blocker or a set of pulling blockers, and he would do very just as well as he does in a zone scheme because he has both that power-based um, skill set, but he also is someone who's agile enough to make that last-minute cut at the line of scrimmage. Fournette's more of a fit-based guy. Now, at that in that realm, though, you got to understand that as much of a fit-based guy he is to a gap scheme, if you put him in that and you have decent blocking, he could be just as productive as Ezekiel Elliott has been as a rookie. So you're looking at someone who has that high upside fit on a team that has traditionally been pretty bad. Um but I like the fit for Fournette, and I think that them picking Cam Robinson was a pretty nice deal because he's a mauler of a run player, and the Jaguars' offensive line as it is before that pick was actually a better suited group for a gap-based scheme. So it seems to me that they're trying to fit things around the talent rather than ramrod Leonard Fournette into a zone-based scheme, and that's a real positive and while Blake Bortles was horrible last year and everyone's saying, well, they're trying to keep the ball out of Bortles' hands and Bortles is so bad that 
things are going to be, you know, rough on Fournette because they're going to stack the box. I think from what we know, like our buddy, you know, Eric Stoner, you know, Bortle, Stoner's a, a big Jaguars fan and follows them. And from what he had mentioned, even before the season began, was that Bortles was allegedly hadn't worked hard at all compared to the season prior, mm-hmm. where he ended up being a, a big time producer. And Ken, I can confirm, that, by the way, can confirm. <laughs> yes, yes. And so we saw, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be down on Bortles, but. I think Bortles knows that his job is on the line and they quietly picked up the fifth year option on him. So, you know, Tom Coughlin doesn't take any crap from anybody. And I don't think, I don't think they would have picked up a fifth year option if they didn't know that he had, he's working right now and that he's working on his game and he's being the guy that he was supposed to be. And with that in mind, with that trio of receivers and adding DD Westbrook to the equation, I think Fournette's going to, actually do better than a lot of people think who are kind of naysayers about the Jaguars. And some of it will be because I think Bortles will be improved. Let me ask you about, because I know you have some thoughts on Fournette's ability as a receiver. You mentioned that the Jaguars are not a good team. They haven't been very good at all lately, and that's kind of being kind. You know, Fournette caught seven passes, 19 passes, and 15 passes in in his three years at LSU. Um, And that's one of the bigger kind of critiques of his game is that he's just a two-down running back. Do you see him similarly, like if the Jaguars are bad again this year and they're falling behind, which... You know, they might not be because they have a better defense, but if that is the case, do you see him as somebody that can play on all three downs? He can. The question is whether or not they will use him because TJ Yeldon has been so reliable in that respect. But we have to remember, no one thought Melvin Gordon was a very good receiver two years ago when he came out of Wisconsin. But when you watched his Wisconsin tape on the small sample size he had, he made some really impressive catches. Um, on with the ones that he did get. Leonard Fournette was very well known as a receiver in high school. And there's some really nice tape of him catching the ball as a receiver at the high school game. And, and at the college level, although he didn't get thrown a lot, neither, you know, there were, Seathan Carter, who's a tight end for Nebraska, who got signed as a UDFA by the Bengals, he left LSU, or he decommitted from LSU, and I'm pretty sure he did it because he thought LSU wasn't going to throw the ball very much. The same with their their top prospect, Deshaun Smith, who is now a UDFA at um, Chicago for the Chicago Bears. He was a top receiving tight end prospect who stuck around, and they, you know, they all should have known that they weren't going to get the ball because LSU does not throw the ball very well since Zach Mettenberger left that program they haven't really had a good quarterback to replace that and when we look at Fournette some of the catches he had I mean he makes some of those back shoulder fade types of um, plays and he can catch the ball with his back to the quarterback on the deeper ends of the field so I think he'll be just fine as a receiver I think some of the analysis is just based on the fact that he didn't have a high statistical sample size and and Beaut, you know, pretty looking stats that tell you that he's productive in the college game. But if you look at the actual film and what he does with the with the targets he got, he'll be just fine. Hey, Waldman. So I got a question for you. 
uh, two of your top ten running backs in the RSP, the pre-draft RSP, uh, Jamal, William, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, both landed on the same team in Green Bay. How do you see that playing out there? Ty, we got Ty Montgomery in the mix. You think they're going to move Ty Montgomery back out to wide receiver and maybe give Jamal Williams a chance to be the feature back? How, do, how, does, how does Williams and Jones fit there in that backfield in Green Bay? Yeah, I think that's the plan long term. I yeah. think short term. I, I, I like what you're thinking there. And I think the short term plan is they'll probably keep Montgomery there until they feel like they can trust both Montgomery, um, both Williams and Jones as pass protectors. Now, Williams, I thought, was one of the best, if not the best pass protector of the running backs in this class. And I bet they picked him. One of the reasons why they picked him is that they felt comfortable with his pass protection as well. And he's an underrated receiver. Jones is an excellent receiver. Yeah. Now, I think he can get a little better as a pass protector. So I think what will happen is they'll, they'll probably want to make sure and if Williams excels early in pass protection, I would look for Montgomery to get moved faster than we think. But if he struggles, then we may see Montgomery as, a, as a, at least a third down back if not the starter, and then they sub Williams in there as kind of a, you know, a reserve who continues to grow with playing time. And Montgomery was bad in pass protection at times last year. I mean, he got, he gave up some bad sacks on Aaron Rodgers and gave up some pressures on third down. So that's an interest. I mean, I think you're one of the few people that talk about pass protection as, as a big thing with rookies. And I think that's a good point. You know, it's on that same situation, um, with Williams and Jones there, I was talking to Alex Gelhar, you know, who works with us at NFL.com the other day, a big Packers fan, and I, I kind of said that that situation actually reminds me a lot of when they drafted Eddie Lacy and uh, Jonathan Franklin a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if people don't, and they spent a little less draft capital on this duo than they did the the the, the former duo, um, but if people remember that. You know, this is this is a little bit before I was scouting, but I can remember people having takes that Franklin might have even ended up being the better back than Eddie Lacy. He just had that horrific injury that ended his career. Do you kind of see see this as maybe a similar situation where Jones could end up being the better, you know, long, or or people might end up thinking that Jones is the better long term player? At least that there might be some whispers of that. Yeah, I mean, I can see that, and I thought very much of that because I. I actually had Jonathan Franklin ranked ahead of Eddie Lacy. Um, so I was one of those people. And when it comes to this, it's close enough that Aaron Jones could wind up being the better runner. His, he has terrific burst. Um, but I think that Jamal Williams is probably the better all-around player. And probably, I, I think he's a he might be a slightly savvier runner with that power. It's so close. The only thing that really separated them was pass protection. So, it, you know, it's one of those deals where I think that if Williams gets the gets the nod because of pass pro, that could give him the shot to continue to hold on to this job at least for the even for the, you know, first 1 to 2 years and then if Jones really steps it up as a pass protector and Williams gets hurt or something goes along those lines, it might be tough for him to get his job back. That's how tight it, it is between these two, barring any kind of strange injury or off-field that happens to, to guys on occasion. So I, I very much like this this duo. 
It's not a fun one for ranking for fantasy, but I'm giving <laughs> I'm giving Jamal Williams the RB one edge as a late first round pick, where I've actually made Jones. I've dropped Jones a fair bit to where he's probably in my third or fourth round. Mm-hmm. And and I'm doing that only because there are so many other players who seem to be getting a an early jump in terms of potential playing time. Um, but it's not so much on ability as it is just the potential opportunity. And we got to remember, too, I mean, Kristen Michael got showed the door. They cut Don Jackson. Yeah. So, you know, this is this is basically the the Montgomery is the stand in or something to prove show with Williams and Jones and a guy by the name of uh, Mays, Denard Mays, I think his name is, who's kind of a thumper at 235 out of Utah State, who kind of has that Travis Henry kind of mold to him. I like it. All right. Well, look, I've let this conversation go on now for like 10 to 15 minutes, and I think that's enough for me to now ask you kind of a selfish question. Uh, here <laughs> and that's about Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel with the Carolina Panthers. I could not be more thrilled with these two players picked by the Panthers. Um, and I just wrote a piece about Christian McCaffrey and why I love him as a fit with Cam Newton. Uh, and I wrote it for football guys. Um, I'm smitten with this. I think it's exactly what they need. I believe in McCaffrey's fit with the Panthers. I believe in the evolu- the coming evolution of Cam Newton that they've talked about all offseason. How do you see Samuel fitting in as a slot receiver and deep threat for the Panthers? And also, are are all the people, like, are all the sheep that are basically saying, like, McCaffrey, not a fit with Carolina, Cam Newton doesn't have the skills to utilize him well, are they off or am I off? Where where do you stand here with McCaffrey and Samuel as, as as the newest Carolina Panthers? Dude, I'm totally with you. I have McCaffrey as my number one player overall oh. on my <laughs> post draft board, and it's you can stop there. It, we don't need any. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna end the right? podcast now. This right. is fun. Yeah, drop the mic. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those deals where look. James A. Light is a really terrific analyst on Twitter who's a football coach who provides a lot of great schematic info and video in the past. And one of the first things he talked about was one of the things that I've been talking about in my pre-draft RSP film rooms, which is that McCaffrey ran a system that's very similar to what the Carolina Panthers did. He ran gap plate, again, he ran gap and pop, you know, like power plays and trap plays, um, counter plays. He ran all those types of plays that the Carolina Panthers run. He understands how to run in a power-based blocking scheme. And yes, he'll run, he'll do some shotgun work as well. But he did that for a reason, and the reason Carolina, you, you know, I, I've joked around that Ed McCaffrey probably said, "Look, son." You want to play in the NFL. I know you do. You could probably go to Baylor or Texas Tech and play in a spread shotgun system and rack up pinball numbers. It would just be fantastic. But if you want to get – if the NFL scouts are, don't have imagination like that when it comes to high-round picks. They want sure things. And when they go to Stanford, what they see is a back who's going to run all the different types of pro-style looks in both the running and passing game that the NFL uses. So if you want to be a first round pick, eliminate all the niggling questions that people have about what you could or cannot do. 
And that's, you know, and besides you're getting a great education and I, I went there. So, you know, that's what, that's what basically McCaffrey probably got at a speech from his dad. If his dad was involved at all in this process and he did it and the scouts made him a top 10, you know, he's a top 10 pick. And when you look at this, I think that people worry about Cam Newton making the adjustment. I think people, this is just another thing in the same line of Cam Newton hating that Cam Newton's not a good quarterback, that Cam Newton only played one year at Auburn. Cam Newton didn't run a pro style offense. Cam Newton won't hang in the pocket. Cam Newton will never take them to a Super Bowl. Cam Newton will never be a pro bowl player. All he'll do is run around. Well, every step of the way, Cam Newton has proven them false, even with a down year last year. So I think that uh, we got to look at this and say that, you know, McCaffrey is a bona fide top 10 pick and the first, and he has proven to me that he can run through some arm tackles. He knows how to use functional power. And he reminds me a lot of Brian Westbrook, who was really who got me into this industry in terms of mm-hmm. my interest in his skill set. And we'll, Westbrook could run between the tackles um, and he could do those types of plays very well. Even at the end of his career, there's a really great tape of him um, playing instead of in the stead of Gore when Frank Gore got hurt in San Francisco and they run all these power based types of types of blocking plays. And he played against a good Arizona Cardinals defense and racked up over a hundred yards and a score. And this was Westbrook, on the downside of his career and he was still great between the tackles. So I don't mind that at all. Samuel may, may take a little more time, but he reminds me of a, a less polished version of Randall Cobb when Randall Cobb entered the league. And I think they will figure out ways to use him. People say, Oh, well, Dave Shula is not all that imaginative or people criticize Dave Shula. And I look at it this way. The Panthers have been operating with receivers who aren't really complete players for quite a long time. Um, And I think Kelvin Benjamin is the closest thing to a complete receiver they've had. Um, And I think that that Samuel has the potential to develop into a more complete receiver than he is at this stage. And playing from the slot will make life easy for that offense to do a lot of diverse multiple things that drive defenses to distraction before the snap. And I think he'll, I think he'll play well year one, even if he does, even if well is 750 to 900 yards, as opposed to being the 1,000, 1,100 yard double digit touchdown guy he might have upside for three to four years from now. Over under 50 catches for McCaffrey as a rookie. Under, but it won't be, it won't be that far away. Okay, cool. I'll take that. (laughs) Hey, Waldman, so uh, the Rams, this is kind of a hipster question here. So the Rams drafted three <laughs> pass catchers. They, they took uh, Gerald Everett, Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds. I think that's it. Uh, right. You know, to kind of bolster their pass catching core, right? To, to help out Jared Goff a little bit. Now, how do you think these guys fit in L.A.? And will they actually help that offense and Jared Goff's production and development as an NFL quarterback and will it open things up for a guy like Todd Gurley who's kind of a huge question mark coming into this season as a fantasy running back yeah and this is such a great question because when you look at the Rams they drafted wide receivers and tight ends last year so everybody's going what the hell's going on yeah that that they did this again but 
a little history here is is I look at it this way. You have to understand that McVeigh, the coach McVeigh, is resetting his program and what based on what Jared Goff needs. And I was a big Jeff Fisher fan back in the 1990s when they had McNair and Eddie George and Derek Mason and the like, and a great defense. But one thing that Jeff Fisher didn't do a very, and his staff didn't do a very good job of last year, was picking players that fit their system. Farrell Cooper is a slot receiver who doesn't have a great route tree. Um, who, you know, Mike Thomas is a guy who I think does well vertically and could develop as a receiver. But you then had Tavon Austin as your starter, Kenny Britt as your starter. And those guys have never really achieved. And Tavon Austin was never a route runner. So you, your your future was based on guys who weren't very good route runners in a West Coast offense that needs route runners. Mm. That's the offense where you need that. So Jared Goff, you know, also didn't benefit from that. He had re- receivers that didn't even want, and those guys didn't even want to work with them during the season. He called meetings and they blew them off. Yeah. So when you look at that. That's what they're doing is resetting this whole thing. So Fisher, I think, and his staff or the or the scouts did a horrible job of really being on the same page of what was needed from a receiver standpoint. This year, you've got a guy like Cooper Cup, who is an excellent route runner, who is great getting off the line of scrimmage and is very quick within those first 15 yards, as I've talked with you about his 20 shuttle and three cone times are very comparable to hipster favorite Allen Robinson of past <laughs> days. <laughs> He's just 20 pounds lighter, which makes Robinson more all the more impressive. Mm-hmm. But Cup is great releasing from the line of scrimmage, and I think that it will help him in a quick-hitting West Coast offense where you can really take advantage of great timing and being where you're supposed to be. And I think that that will help. And then Josh Reynolds is also a very good route runner, and I think he's only going to get better route runners at this stage usually as rookies don't usually get the right depth on their stems and come back and attack the football and i think josh reynolds did that very well as well as any guy that i've seen in this class and he has some concentration drops and yes he dropped passes on his pro day and made mike mayock nervous but you know what uh, that's fine. I, I like to see Mike Mayock a little nervous every once in a while. So does, I think, so does some of the crew on NFL on the NFL Network. It's it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> it's He's one of my guy. favorite parts of the draft is when Mayock that's, starts getting salty. That's one of yeah, the best. That's right. You know, I mean, the that, the orangutan make Mike, Mike Mayock nervous. So, yeah, you, you know, get out of the zoo. If we go <laughs> yeah, to the zoo, exactly. I'm walking off this set. <laughs> incredible yeah, moment. It's exactly. Incredible moment. Uh, do you do you worry that like these guys are do you worry that these guys are kind of like well it feels like to me with the Rams that there's a lot of kind of like redundant skill set guys like uh, you know Everett and Higby kind of seem like both move tight ends or whatever um, you know not necessarily Reynolds and Thomas and that might be part of the part of this situation but Co- Farrell Cooper Cooper Cup. Robert Woods kind of all seem like the same slot flanker archetype to me. Does that does that make you nervous at all about how they might all start to fit together? And also, does that kind of make you optimistic that guys that can play on the outside, two of your favorites in, in Mike Thomas and Josh Reynolds, maybe there's more of an opportunity for those players just because stylistically they're different from the other guys on the roster? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it this way. I think that some of this redundancy was picked up because some of the guys are going to be gone um, who, who haven't performed well. Um, I think they have an out with Tavon Austin sooner than later. I think he's going to be gone sooner than later. And then also, you know, I think Cooper is not – I think Cooper's an athlete who catches the ball well as opposed to a wide receiver um, who in the NFL. And yeah. I think that he has some growth to make, whereas Cooper Cup – is a underrated athlete who happens to be a really good wide receiver. Robert Woods played hurt a lot, and if he can stay healthy, I think we'll see a little more downfield ability from him where he can be a more complete receiver. And I think that gives him also a little bit – and I think he has something to prove. I think he knows that he kind of got bound on an island of misfit toys in Buffalo when it came to that offense – and, and that coaching staff. So I think he's got something to prove. I think we're going to see the player who I thought was arguably better than Marquise Lee at USC. Mm. And, then, and then when we look at Reynolds, I mean, Reynolds and Thomas will probably compete. Um, I like Reynolds a little bit more. Um, and I think that, you know, this is more, the thing that worries me more is if Jared Goff doesn't take that step forward and this offensive line and offensive scheme falters again if that happens then these then we could be looking at another buffalo situation where it's just like one good guy might be out there to lean on and everyone else is just like secondary because the quarterback and the offensive scheme are just too basic to to feel comfortable with but i i have a sneaking suspicion that people buried golf a little too early Mm. There's a lot of questions I actually would would like to ask about the Rams. I think we could have a whole long discussion about it, but you know we don't need to get turned into the Rams podcast here. But <laughs> we're, we're talking about all these rookies. One place where you can draft all these rookies and play with them uh, in your fantasy league is RealitySportsOnline.com, where we are actually all in a league together. This is this is pretty pretty symbolic here uh, with the Reality Sports Online Writer League that Walden puts together. Uh, if you sign up for RealitySportsOnline.com with the promo code hipsters you get uh, after your 14 day free trial you get 10 percent off on your team or league today look reality sports online has one of the best platforms hands down to play fantasy online it really makes you feel like an nrfl general manager and it was actually created by front office personnel members uh from from uh, from a team so you know it's legit uh they have the free agency auction room uh, they enable fantasy owners to negotiate and sign the NFL's talent to top uh, single or multi-year contracts. The platform can host up to 32 teams. It has all these other features with injured reserve, salary cap functionality. So test your general manager skills for free with the with that 14-day free trial. And after you like it, because you will, you sign up with the promo code HIPSTERS for 10% off on your uh, league. So definitely make sure you do that. Like I said, we all play in a league together. We uh, we enjoy it. But uh well, franchise, you've got a you've got another question for 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 our for our guest here, our esteemed guest here. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna uh, get back to running backs here. One of my favorite guys in this class was Dante Foreman, um, and he went to the Texans in the third round. And there's uh, news reports out that the Texans want him to quote unquote spell Lamar Miller because. Uh, Lamar Miller is questionable if he can really handle a workhorse type of, of workload. And Dante Foreman had 323 carries last season. Um, do you think, Waldman, that, that Foreman is just going to be kind of the second wheel there in Houston? Do you think this is going to be like a split committee type of deal? 
Um, how do you think Foreman fits there in Houston behind Lamar Miller? I think he's a high up um, sub package, a high um, upside sub package player this year with the potential to develop into an every down starter as he improves his ball security and his pass protection. Now, I know that he's been graded highly by some outlets as having great pass pro skills, but sometimes when you grade a player that way, you're grading on success of being able to keep the guy from the quarterback, not necessarily successful technique that will project to the next level. And his technique to the next level was horrible. Um, dropped his head too often. He got steered a lot. He was he tipped off blocks way too early. He's he had a lot of little things to correct. That you know they're little things, but because there's a volume of them, it may take him a little bit of time. Um, and if he works at it, he should have no problem. Because again, we're looking at a 235, 240 pound back, depending on how comfortable he likes to play it what weight he likes to play at comfortably. Um, and while he's not quite the bruiser that people may come out to be, I think that he has more than enough power to run between the tackles and push a pile and wear down a defense. He's very quick, as we've seen, very quick and fast. He's He reminds me a little bit of LeGarrette Blunt in that respect. Um, and I've always been a LeGarrette Blunt fan. I think that you know, he's a guy that easily could take this job from Lamar Miller in two to three years if Miller falters and doesn't prove that he can hang on there. And Miller's been kind of a his fantasy productivity and starter productivity has been flaky since he entered the league. A very good talent. But he's just he's just been he's not personally a flake, but his performance has just been kind of like someone that you just don't really want to count on that way. Just as when you think you're ready to trust him, it just seems like he gets hurt or underwhelms. It's yeah. been bizarre because, like, in, in Miami he was – or maybe this is almost, like, predictable. But in Miami he was that guy that was super effective on a small number of touches. And then everybody's, like, clamoring, you know, why doesn't Miami give him more touches? Why doesn't he get the ball more? And then he goes to Houston and he gets a large volume of touches. But does it like he started to wear down he wasn't gaining a ton of big plays on those touches so he has been something of an enigma so maybe uh, Foreman can be that kind of uh, complimentary role player there yep. uh, I want to ask about two guys two wide receivers that went uh, on day two Juju Smith-Schuster to the Pittsburgh Steelers and Chris Godwin who you know I'm a big fan of to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers which landing spot do you like better to complement the the corresponding receivers fit and it's like skill set uh and which one do you end up kind of end up seeing having the better end of nfl career now that we know where they're going to play yeah that's a tough one too because a lot of these guys i i think godwin is a more talented player than juju smith schuster i just i feel that way and (laughs) (laughs) i feel that way i feel like you're gonna about to toss me brussels sprouts like you toss charlie Britt biscuits but uh, but you've retired, so I That's understand. True. We I saw the press conference today, so um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have to I might have sorry. to fire up some. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I might have to fire up some Brussels sprouts just in, in remembrance. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I that said about Godwin, the fact that you have Deshaun Jackson, who is still a, a very a very fine receiver when healthy, mm-hmm. and you have Mike Evans on that side. You wonder if they're going to try and move Godwin to the slot. While he didn't have a lot of slot opportunities and 
You'll hear that a lot. I think he's a good enough player that you can put him there and, and he could probably learn that position and do well. And you could switch him around with Jackson and they can they can do some things schematically that would make uh, it more difficult for the defense to defend the passing game. And Godwin reminded me a little bit of Greg Jennings in his prime. So I could see Jennings started off in the slot as well when he was in Green Bay and then moved to the outside. So I I think there's potential there, but year one, year two, with the fact that Sammy Coates can't track the football, Martavis Bryant can't stay out of trouble. Um, I, I look at that scenario with Marcus Wheaton gone as well, and I feel like Juju Smith-Schuster's the safer pick right now with Roethlisberger in that offense. Um, but I would say that the fact that Godwin's value will likely drop because of the fact that he's the third wheel in Tampa Bay, I would feel like you could get both and and be happy. But I would prefer to wait later and get Godwin and instead of Juju Smith-Schuster, mm. pick a quarterback or pick another running back or a tight end. I like it. Uh, franchise, you got any other any other questions? Yeah, so the Redskins took some AJP, Ryan. And they got Ron Kelly there. They're very similar, and they're they're both kind of power backs, right? So how do you see that playing out? Do you think they're going to compete in camp, or do you think, uh, you know, Kelly's going to be the starter and Pirine's kind of got to earn his job, or how do you think that's going to play out there in Washington? Well, you know, we never know, and we can never trust what Washington thinks because we've seen kind of their behavior. They're pretty dysfunctional up there above the coaching staff, you know, higher up. So that's – but they did stay – today that they expect Piran to compete for the starting job with Kelly um, and to and so if they're going to throw him right in there to compete on that level I like Piran more because I think Piran's a, a more um, powerful back I think Piran is the strongest back in this NFL class and you know it you know Fournette may have some of those devastating runs when he builds up speed. Yeah. But P. Ryan doesn't need to build up speed to, for people to like. I've joked around in other shows that basically he's, he's built like a cast iron pan and when <laughs> players players try to hit him, it's like butter hitting a hot cast iron pan. I mean, they just melt right off him. So, That's a good, then, such a good you analogy. So Big fan of cast he, iron pans, by the way. <laughs> see, that, see, I'm me too. So if you don't cook with a go. cast iron pan, you're doing it all wrong. Let me tell you that. That's right. That's right. So you know where, where I think that you know I, I think if we're going to go to cooking. Then we could say that you know Rob Kelly's a walk. He's got a big surface area, and you could hit something, but the handle might break off after a few whacks at it. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think Samaje Piran, someone <laughs> runs into that sucker, and he doesn't even have to swing the thing, you know. So I mean, I like I like Rob Kelly a lot, but I think Kelly's probably more destined to be that that second back, um, at least by next year. And I wouldn't even be surprised. I still holding out a torch for Keith Marshall, who will be healthy, and I think have a shot to at least maybe tell matt jones that he can leave town and go somewhere else <laughs> um so so it may be interesting because you know you could see if if marshall actually comes back this year and looks more comfortable and is healthy you could have a one-two punch of p ryan who's the you know the absolute tank and then the four three one or whatever that marshall ran 
you know, who's that straight line speedster, and that could be a really dangerous combination. But P. Ryan right now, I've got him ranked well within my top ten. Um, he might even be, he might even still be in my, he might even be inside my top seven or top six wow. like um, at this point because he, he's. They didn't draft him. I, I think they drafted him when they say they're going to let him compete for the job. I think they're optimistic that that looking at his whole profile that they're going to get the quicker version of him, not the sluggish one from his early in his junior year. Awesome. And I'm taking notes. Yeah, right. And put that on my cheat sheet and gonna, in my back pocket. Going to definitely steal the cast iron versus walk uh, analogy. So good. So, good. so when, you hear, when you hear that on the NFL Fantasy Live podcast in July, you know that, uh, yeah, you know where I stole it from. Back yeah. Well, that that's cool. Just – just you know, just a little, just just we can have a code word so I can laugh or something like perfect <laughs> after you say it. You know, that'd that, be, that'll be fun. That makes okay. sense. So before we ask you our last and most important series of questions, just are there, <laughs> is there like maybe one uh, favorite of yours that landed in an awesome spot? You know, maybe beyond like the guys that we know. Um, that, that you would want to highlight for listeners that, that uh, like one player that, like I said, is a fate was a favorite of yours pre-draft landed in an awesome spot that you think is just, you're really excited about. Yeah. And it's one of my fatal flaws as a fantasy analyst has been, and a fantasy owner since before I was a writer is that I'm a magnet for players with like bad attitudes. Mm-hmm. And when they put it out on the field as bad attitudes, they tend to be studs on the field. But if they can't control their bad attitude off it, they they can't get on the field and stay on the field because they get in fights with running backs or they throw their helmet or they 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 don't work as hard as they should or do something dumb off the field. I'm, so I've had to learn to be cautious about that. But at the same time, there's a player who fits that mold who, when I watch him play, I thought he was pro- arguably the most talented quarterback I've seen in three years, and that's Chad Kelly out of mm. Ole Miss. Um, the you know I look at quarterback on three spectrums in a basic way. I, I mean I look at a lot of different things, but I could classify them into three basic things. One access is your academic technical side of football. You know calling plays, understanding defenses your dropbacks, your releases, all the things that we all nitpick to death as analysts. That's the academic, theoretical, technical side. Then you have the leadership-oriented, emotional intelligence side. How do, you, how do you get along with your teammates? How do you inspire them with your play? Do you, you know, how do you motivate people in practice? You know, Chad Kelly's got those two things, even though off the field he's gotten in fights, He's been, you know, he got in arguments with coaches for his arrogance. And then you have the intuitive side, which people ignore because, one, they can't analyze it cleanly. And two, scouts don't, when they talk about it, it sounds like intangibles. Mm -hmm. But you can, when you define intangibles, it's about really how do you glue the technical side of the game together with the leadership side as well as with being able to anticipate what's going to happen on the field as a quarterback, being able to read the defense and piece together when you're supposed to throw the ball. Because we look at it right now and you look at a guy like Alex Smith and Alex Smith is a guy that is totally on the technical side of the spectrum. He is one of the most technically savvy sound quarterbacks in the league today, but 
if you ask people in theory how a play should go, well, if you follow the theory of a play to its completion on every down, every play is a check down. And so when you look at the situation, you, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a guy who has great theory, but he's intuitive enough to know this is where the kill shot's going to come, and I'm going to take that chance. You know, And when you do that just right, you have Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. When you do that wrong, you have Jay Cutler sometimes, or you have Matt Stafford on a bad year. Um, so these are situations where when you look at Chad Kelly, he has that three, all those three axes under control. The problem is the off-field. I think he's been mostly trouble-free for the past year and a half, two years. And him landing in Denver is like, I mean, I hate to bring this up because this is such an unhipster type of reference, but I got to do it, <laughs> is, is it's like a 1980s, 1990s Tom Cruise movie about to play out. Because in all those movies, <laughs> you know, yes, it is. But, but it's true. Like, you look at Tom Cruise and every part he played was he was the ultra-talented, kind of like halfway likable guy around like his peers who had an authority complex and and was way too arrogant for his own good gets in trouble nearly has a career death experience and result of the fact that he's almost at the heights where he should be and then he has the you know the the epiphany moment or some sort of rebound or redemption effort that then gives him the opportunity to be great. And Chad Kelly is basically landing as Mr. Irrelevant when he should have been, even by most draft Knicks accounts, a first round pick by talent landing as Mr. Irrelevant with John Elway hall of famer from the same class as his hall of fame, uncle quarterback picking him up on a team where he has Paxton Lynch, who I can't say why I know this, but and I know that Denver beat writers will say, no, that's wrong. But I can tell you, and all I can say is just trust me, and you may not, and that's fine, but we'll see in a few years from now, that Paxton Lynch has questions about whether he really wants to work at the game on the mm. level that it needs to be as a starting quarterback. Trevor Simeon, on the other hand, doesn't have any of Paxton Lynch's physical tools to be a quarterback, but he works his tail off and they can't get rid of him. They'd like to get rid of him, but they can't because he's the guy that works like Tom Brady works, but he doesn't have those physical tools. So they're stuck with these two quarterbacks, hoping that Paxton Lynch, the light will come on and then hoping at the same time that, you know, that will happen so they can get rid of Simeon. Hin walks Chad Kelly in this situation. Chad Kelly, even though he's gotten in trouble, is known for his maniacal work ethic. Chad Kelly's with his bad injuries that he's had. He's going to get a year to heal and recondition his body. And that's the bigger issue wasn't the ACL or this, this um, wrist injury. What I was told was that the hernia operation he had he could have, they said if he could get a full year under his belt to really recondition his body and, and not take any hits, then you're going to see this dual threat quarterback that he was when he entered Clemson who would have rendered Deshaun Watson obsolete because he was, he was there at that time and would have probably outplayed Watson, if you ask me. A quarterback who I watch on Old Miss tape 
uh, split a Georgia safety and cornerback who had an angle on him in, in a game last year. And Georgia may not have any top cornerbacks or safeties in heading into the draft in this year or next, but Georgia fields athletes all the time who run like four, 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 three. So you're talking about a guy with underrated speed and all those tools I talked about getting to sit for a year and then step into a team that is, you know, on defense and on offense should be a Super Bowl contender otherwise. I love the fit. I love the risk level because you could probably get him in the fourth or fifth or sixth round. Um, and I and for me, with dynasty quarterbacks, I usually would rather draft a premium guy, not draft, but pay for a premium guy, pay the premium for like Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or or at worst, Philip Rivers and know what I'm getting rather than draft a guy in the second or third round who's going to crap out half the time. So if I can get Chad Kelly later, and I think he's more talented than the Watsons, Trubisky's, and and Kaisers of the world, why not? So I love that fit. All right, Mo Alderman. Well, we'll, we've got got time for you to give us one hipster take. I gave you a list of three out of you can choose from, uh, before we get out of here, you can choose between a music hipster take, a food or beer hipster take, or lastly, a football hipster take. So you've got time to give us give us one of those. So hit us with it before we before we bounce out of here. Considering that I don't dress well anymore, that I don't get to drink beer or alcohol very much with all the work I've been doing, and football's just you know, I mean, come on now, that's all I talk about. I will say this: let's just go. We're gonna hipster can also be kind of retro and back in time. So yeah, of I would recommend, I would recommend the, the album I'm listening to a lot these days is by a, a saxophonist by the name of Joe Henderson. He's a jazz artist who passed away a, a while ago, but he has an off the charts album called Joe Henderson live in Japan. And there's a song from there called junk blues and it'll rip your hair out. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, we will take a note of that, and hopefully the listeners check it out, too. I love a good saxophone. Well, we can. the Fantasy Hipsters cannot thank Matt Waldman enough for coming on, sharing just a wealth of insight and really good discussions. We could have gone on for hours and hours and hours uh, about the rookie fits, and uh, perhaps maybe another time we will. But, Waldman, thanks again for uh, for joining us. Tell, tell the people, uh, tell all the sheep out there where they can find, where they can herd their way to the RSP. Yeah, and what's great is the RSP allows you to be the wolf. So uh-huh. this is what <laughs> I give you room to be the wolf. Not every, you know, you're going to get that opportunity to think for yourself, and that's how I set this thing up. You can go to mountwaldman.com to order it right away, or learn more about it at mountwaldmanrsp.com. Beautiful. That's a perfect way to sell it. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Waldman. Uh, As for us, Franchise and I are going to take a quick break and we'll come back on the other side of this with our music and beer recommendations of the week. All right, everybody, we want to remind you about the sponsor of today's show. It's the Duchamp's Grooming Company. Their vintage-inspired, handmade grooming products for the modern-day man are incredible. They have a fantastic beard oil and beard balm to get your facial hair looking just right. They also have a hair wax to make you look stylish as, as all get out, or even a little bit of lip balm there that's scented very nice. Now, for the ladies out there, if you still want to grab some products from them, which we encourage you to do so, they have plenty of kits to get your loved ones a present. 
All these handmade products are awesome. I use them every day. I have them in my pocket right now. They even have a signature scent. Um, you can find all this stuff at the online shop at www.duchampsgroming.co. That's duchampsgrooming.co. They have an online shop and follow them on Instagram, duchampsgroomingco, and on Twitter at duchampsgroomco. Find them, follow them, retweet them, and buy their stuff. All right, let's get back to the show. All right. Thanks again to Matt Waldman for joining us. What a fantastic uh, discussion with him. I feel like I feel like we've uh, rookied, rookied to death, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, oversaturation. <laughs> now, we'll definitely have some different stuff to talk about next week other than just rookies. But awesome conversation with Matt. Um, but hey, Franchise, why don't you tell our listeners what else will make them not only awesomely smart about rookies, but make them look awesome too. Oh, well look awesome obviously it's flag and anthem men's clothing line that sponsors this segment of the fantasy hipsters podcast flag and anthem is subtle smart well-made style for the kind of guy who values hard work but also knows how to unwind and have a good time they make clothing for guys who are too busy enjoying life to obsess about micro trends and they make classics that are always cool so right now we're rewarding our listeners of the fantasy hipsters podcast with a 25% off promo code, just enter Fantasy Hipsters, one word, upon checkout on your first order at flagandanthem.com. Follow Flag and Anthem on Instagram and Twitter at flagandanthemco. They do random sales on their social networks. They're looking to try to build their social following. So please, it doesn't cost you anything. Jump on Twitter, jump on Instagram, go follow Flag and Anthem. And don't forget Fantasy Hipsters promo code, uh, fantasy hipsters one word you get 25% off your first order I'm wearing kind of a uh, lighter floral print short sleeve button I was gonna here. say we're we're a good ad for them right now because you're wearing this kind of like totally pizzazz like leaf shirt thing here yeah with the short sleeve button up by the way it is definitely short sleeve button up season very exciting for yeah that. I've got a good, good I'm stocking up for sure That's definitely true. some from flag and anthem uh, but you know, you're wearing this, and like I've just got a very, you know, very muted, non nonchalant sort of, like long, long sleeve ish, shortish shirt from them. And I feel like we're <laughs> we're showing like two two ways of the style right now. You can really pop with what you're wearing, or yeah. just, you know, just something casual. Where what I'm wearing right nice now. Nice little comfy long sleeve tee there. No doubt. So yeah, flag and anthem. Go get some. Twenty five percent off. Fantasy hipsters. All right, let's get into the music pick of the week. Hit, hit us, hit us. Who is it? Look, I might get some flack for this one because it's kind of a popular group, but okay. they're one of my favorite groups out there right now. Foster the People. Look, everyone knows who they are. 2011, they had the smash hit, pumped up kicks, went on a crazy world tour. Uh, they're awesome live. The, the front man, Mark Foster, is a musical genius. Um, since that album that had pumped up kicks on it, they put out another one in 2014 called Supermodel, and I feel like they lost their fan base because everyone expected these pop hits. They pumped it like that first record is hit after hit after hit. And then they put out this kind of weird psychedelic rock, like a little darker album. I love that supermodel, right? Their sound evolved and changed a little bit. And I did a lot of research on it because I had reviewed that album for relics. Um, Basically it was inspired by their world tour Mark Foster had a little bit of a drug problem. He was in a dark place during their first tour. Mm. And the Supermodel album was him kind of sobering up 
And uh, so a lot of the lyrics were dark and it had some dark sounds to it. And they lost a lot of their fans because it was kind of a departure from their sound. But for me, it was one of the most underrated albums of the year. It didn't really win any awards um, and people, people didn't really like it. Now they're back after a long hiatus. Uh, they just put out a three song EP called Three Roman Numerals. Um, there's three tracks on it, obviously, just came out this week. They also announced a world tour this summer. So they're back. They're coming out with a full length soon. I don't know if there's a date for it. But the three new songs are really good. The first one is um, Do It For The Money. And the lyric is uh, We're Not Doing It For The Money. So I love it. Yeah, so it's a. I can see the song being on the radio. I don't know if it's going to be a radio single, but it's got... It kind of is a little bit of a return to form. It's it's pop, but it's also a little bit of uh, rock. There's some electronic in it. There's hip-hop beats in these three songs, and it's all over the place. There's crazy layers, really good production. Apparently, they lost their bass player between Supermodel and this record, so I think that had to do with some of the, the long time off. But like I said, Mark Foster is a musical genius. I love this guy's songwriting. Pretty sure he produces everything. Um, and NPR posted an article um, on under their All Songs Considered page. And with a link back... Love All Songs Considered. Yeah. With a link, but they have a podcast too. That's a really good way to discover new music. They link yep. back to what NPR calls their Tiny Desk Concert. So it's like NPR's version. Of, yep. They bring the band in and they sit on the desk and do a stripped down like three song acoustic performance. So go find that on NPR. Look for Foster the People NPR Tiny Desk Concert. I watched it last night. They do. It's from 2011, but they do three songs from that first album. Um, and it's just Mark Foster is so talented. He's got such range on his voice. He has this high falsetto, and then he has this lower range that he goes into. And the guy just does everything. He plays guitar. He plays keyboards. I think he can play drums. Uh, I just have so much respect for him. I think they're super underrated. They're considered a pop group because they're kind of mainstream, which, you know, isn't really a hipster take. But sure. I think they're super underrated. So go listen to the new Foster the People. Check out their tour if they're coming to your town this summer. You won't be disappointed. I've seen them live a few times and just been blown away. Right on. Yeah, I like Foster the People. I like that second, the psychedelic, like more psychedelic album. Everyone hated it. Ah, they're, they're goons. They're losers. Yeah, whatever. Haters and the losers. haters and losers, of which there are many, right. are saying that the Foster the People album was not good when it was psychedelic. They're wrong. Yeah, very unfair. The hipster take is that it was actually good. It's actually good. Right. Well, I'm excited to listen to their new album. Yeah, man. Me too. <laughs> All right, let's get into the beer pick of the week. And we had a little help with the beer pick of the week. Uh, listener right. of the show, Chris Harbin from Nashville, Tennessee, sent in a whole box of beers for us. Nice. It's awesome. So this is my beer pick of the week is whatever we're about to drink. Awesome. All right. So, what do you got? So, all right, let's pop it open. <laughs> totally got that on my computer, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, uh, this is, it's Gar's Beer Company. It's a red jam, uh, and it, it's a, an intriguing red ale. Okay. So it looks like we've got, uh, it's from, again, Nashville. Uh, 6.0 alcohol by volume. I'm going to give it a little try here. Mm. That's good. <laughs> well, that, good Good that it's good. Yeah, right. That would have been weird if it was a beer pick of the week. Oh, this is good. disgusting. Oh, this is no. Oh, hey. No, for real, though. Shout out to Chris. Uh, this is good. Wait, what where, you... where is it from? So, again, Nash... Ooh, it's got a, like almost a... 
Ooh, definitely got an intriguing little aftertaste I, I just got hit with. Um, nice. Oh, this is, okay, excuse me. So this is brewed by Straight to Ale in Huntsville, Alabama cool. for Gars Beer Company in Franklin, Tennessee. Now, I think the one you have over there... Yeah, this one is from Nashville. Okay. I'm drinking a completely different one, but I don't want to steal your pick. No, no, no. So we're going to talk about both the ones that we're drinking. Okay. Right so so for, for, for me, this is, again, it's called the Red Jam. Uh, here, I'll just read the description that's on the can. I like the descriptions right, right on the can. Yeah. The Red Jam's a beautiful red ale filled with aromas and flavors of strawberry jam and other dried fruit. It really is. Can confirm. Uh, <laughs> unlike many fruit beers, this beer is not sweet because it contains no syrups, fruits, uh, pu purees or extract. The red jam's intrigue comes from the unique combination of grains, hops, and honey bush. The beer smells sweet, but finishes dry with bitterness for balance, especially uh, with soft cheeses, smoked or enjoy especially with soft cheeses, smoked meats, and dessert. Ooh, I like the pairing suggestions. I dig it. You want to try? Oh uh, yeah, sure. No, so that's that's damn good. That is aftertaste. that's damn good. Like little fruit aftertaste, but it's not like overpowering and annoying. It doesn't taste sweet at all, but can you taste the aftertaste? Yeah. That's good. I love There's that. There's strawberries on the on the can there. Yeah, this is the can is badass. All the cans that he sent were sick. Cool. Uh, so this is great. This is I I'm glad this is the beer pick of the week. <laughs> this is really good. You're gonna I'm have to get some more of that. Yeah, right. Chris, I'm gonna have to have you send me uh, I'll just follow Chris on Twitter so that I can find out how I get more of these. Nice. <laughs> uh, what do you got there out of the I, out of the I got one called Chicken Scratch. It's an American Pilsner uh, from Little Harpeth Brewing, which is actually in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm. Uh, Nashville Craft Lager, it says, here's the description. It says, we craft in the tradition of German lagers consistent with the beers of pre-prohibition Middle Tennesseans. Our mission is to pre preserve the past, enjoy the present, and sustain the future of brewing in Nashville. We are dedicated to improvement of our community and to the quality of our product. We are working hard to give you the beer that you deserve. It's got a little chicken on the, on the front there. There's a, roost, a chicken a on rooster? the front. Is it, it a... it's, yeah, I don't know if it's a rooster or a chicken. Yeah. How do you tell the difference? It's like uh -huh. a chicken crossing sign. Yeah, maybe a chicken crossing the road. Chicken scratch American Pilsner. You want to try? Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me get it. It's very light Pil as as a Pilsner is. Oh, yeah. That's good. Very you can, refreshing you can for be, a hot summer day. Yeah, you can be slamming back a few of these while playing some cornhole or something. That's good. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Nice yellow can. I like it. Well, hell yeah. I think Chris really hit it out of the park with this one. And you got more in the fridge, so I, I know mean, we've got a whole we, bunch we got more beer picks for weeks here. Yeah, right. Seriously, maybe we'll just have to we'll have to do a hipsters combined drinking session and drink all these beers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would love that. Uh, all right. Well, again, shout out to Chris for sending these beers in. You can always hey, if you want to send beers to the Fantasy Hipsters to get recommended on the show, fantasyhipsters at gmail .com and I'll hook I'll hook it up. All right. Just saying. Hey, I'm this podcast, saying. this is an underground podcast. We're not affiliated with the NFL Network. We can take bribery and gifts from guests all, or from <laughs> listeners all we want, let's, damn it. Let's not call it bribery. Ah, okay, fine. <laughs> we can take gifts from listeners all we want, Yeah. damn it. Hey, man, we can't help it if people like us. Yeah, right. Sorry, don't add us. All the haters and losers, God. All right, well, awesome interview with Matt Waldman this week. Great music pick. Killer beer pick from from our buddy Chris. Delicious, uh, great stuff all around. I think this episode was good. It was a good episode, and be sure to check out our mail satchel only episode on Friday. No question. Yeah, we have a pretty good. We got well, so many questions because we skipped satchel. it last week. Skipped it last week, so we had a little catching up to do. So maybe a little bit longer of a mail satchel episode than you used to. But hey, who's complaining about that? Um, but yeah, so make sure to check that out later in the week. 
As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. That's right. We'll think about be doing a, maybe doing a couple more giveaways here soon. We'll we'll uh, we'll figure that out uh, in order to you know basically whore for more reviews. But uh, <laughs> make sure you're sharing the show with all your friends, your enemies, even those mainstream weenies that you know are are just not woke. You the gotta sh- wake them up to some good stuff. The sheep. There yeah. were, I saw a lot of sheep in Utah. Oh, I Sad. Believe, I believe there were some all herding sheep. together. You really could have gotten some good photo opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. You missed some memeable content. Well, I was, I was driving when the, the sheep were there. So pull over. No. It's all about the internet, bro. <laughs> Anytime you can get a good meme, you got to do it. Every time I saw the sheep, I was like, hipsters, sheep, look at them all. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, so make sure you're uh, doing all that necessary stuff. You can check out Franchise on Twitter, at Matt Franchise. You yep. can find him at sticktofootball.com. If you really are interested in finding me, for whatever reason, even though I'm not tweeting about Brussels sprouts anymore, it's at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Uh, and thebackyardbanter.com. But uh, anything else uh, other than check out our sponsors? No, man. Just stay hipster. Stay hipster. And uh, for us, we're going to go stay hipster somewhere else because hipster's out. Hipster's out. I listened to... uh that podcast s town have you heard of that oh yeah did you listen to it yeah, it was good i enjoyed Dude, it crushed it on the road trip oh yeah that way well, you so that's fun that's an interesting discussion what's it like listening to a podcast with another person i don't think i've ever done that normally it's a solo listening experience it was uh because heitham and kayla said they did that too that they listened to i think the same they listened to s town like together on a road trip. there was a lot of like pausing and like discussing what we're listening to and like wow that was crazy right yeah oh my god and Hmm. There, was, See, there was a lot of that. I feel like I'd just be like, yeah, I'll, I'll have my own takes. Uh, please hold. But then again, you're actually in a successful relationship. and You're the king of the alone. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>